Underdog Collectibles is an online shop run for collectors by collectors. Join them every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday night as they break new products, talk sports, and hopefully you'll pull a great hit to add to your collection. Visit them at www.udogcollect.com and tell them Wax Pack Hero sent you. Remember, always bet on the underdog. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute presented by ComC. Yes, that's right. ComC is now the title sponsor of the podcast, and I'm happy to have them on board. As many of you longtime listeners know, ComC has been one of my core three online selling platforms, and I am excited to partner with them now as a title sponsor of the podcast. Today, I've got a great conversation with Kyle from the Wax Museum podcast, and we're going to talk about his collecting background, how he got started with the podcasting world. We're going to talk a little bit about how he approaches educating other collectors about the history of basketball cards and a variety of other topics. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So we will go ahead and start that interview in just a second. But before we do, I want to remind you to check out ComC.com if you have not already done so and set up your free account. It is your home for buying, selling, and flipping the hottest cards. And you know what? That's what I've used it for too. If you go back and listen to the three-part series I did on buying, submitting, and flipping, it's a great marketplace for that. It's worked well for me. The marketplace has over 23 million cards at this point, and their football card auctions are set to be featured on eBay's homepage from January 25th through 31st, so there will be some extra eyeballs on those ComC auctions. Also, to continue to serve collectors as the hobby grows, they're actively hiring for roles in order fulfillment, web development, and a trading card analyst. So check out ComC.com for more. That's COMC.com. Hi, this is Scott Spizio, and you're listening to the Wax Packs Hero Sports Card Minute. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. I'm glad to be on today. Got my first cup of coffee ready here in in Florida. Um, Got some football games later today. I know I'm a basketball guy, but I I enjoy that too. So um, glad to be on this morning, and I hope you're doing well too. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, doing well here on this Sunday morning. Uh, it's always good to start the day with a little conversation about cards, um, spend some time with the family before I head to the shop for a while this afternoon. And so it's it's a, a good Sunday shaping up here. And I'm glad we get a chance to talk a little bit about cards and about your show, uh, the Wax Museum podcast. And so maybe we can start for those of my listeners who are not familiar with you or your show. Maybe we can just start by getting a little bit about your collecting background. Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up in Indiana and uh, lived there the first 15 years of my life. And, um, you know, they, there's a bunch of cliches about basketball in Indiana. And, and I know it's probably changed a little since then, but basketball is still a really big deal in Indiana. So I was kind of, um, you know, always interested in basketball, started watching the, um, the Hoosiers with my dad and it kind of evolved from there. And, and then, um, 
you know, Reggie Miller was obviously a big deal. I'm 33. So I'm from that era where Reggie was a big deal. He was like, we didn't get Jordan jerseys for Christmas. We got Reggie jerseys. And then I got the Reggie USA jersey. And then I got the Reggie pinstripe jersey. You know, it's that that was our Jordan. So um, I started, you know, once I found cards, I could actually collect cards that go with uh, basketball. I started collecting around 1995 and, you know, really enjoyed it took my breaks in the hobby. So I would say I, my first break came around 2000. I, I, you know, just was starting to get a little bit older. Things were different interests and kind of, kind of everyone's story, different interests. Uh, I was going into high school around that time. So, you know, things were changing and uh, came back in 2003 because of some guy named LeBron James Sure. And I th- I'm very happy that I came back in 2003. And, and part of it was also because I moved from, that's when I moved from Indiana to Florida. And there was a part of me that was a little bit homesick. So, you know, I, I, I won't say it's just LeBron James that brought me back. I, I should correct that. I was a little bit homesick and um, cards helped me connect kind of to the Pacers, which was kind of like my, um, you know, looking back and, and my connection back to Indiana. So um, I was able to take that with me. And then, yeah, so I had LeBron James and um, collected, you know, Ron Artest after that, which, you know, when your player goes into the stands and punches fans, they stop making cards of them. Did, did and, you have a lot of uh, his jerseys as well? Uh, so I had, I had a, I did have one nice jersey of his. You know, he was still kind of emerging to where they didn't make a lot of nice cards or memorabilia of him at the time. And uh, although I did have the jersey and and even wore it proudly after the whole melee in Detroit <laughs> and um, got I went to a Magic game in Orlando wearing it and and the the heat that I attracted just from wearing that without even saying anything, you know, and and I was like 17 at the time or whatever so you know it was a pretty big deal but then ron asked to be traded so i i stuck with it you know mm-hmm. i stuck with my player after he's punching fans the last draw for me was when he asked to be traded and um that's also around the time i i was graduating high school around 2006 and you put all those things together and i i kind of wanted a break but i didn't break from all cards i went to baseball because I was getting autographs in person at spring training now that I was in Florida. Mm-hmm. So I missed out on the Durant rookie year, but I was buying tons of 2007 baseball blasters. So it's, you know, I, I like that set, but unfortunately missed out on that year. Took a, like I said, took a break, went to baseball, came back around 2010 with all of the Blake Griffin, um, all of that hype which, you know, now might seem silly to some people if, if they're just picking up on NBA, but it was huge then. Um, Hansborough was a, a big rookie for the Pacers. So, um, and I actually remember what what helped bring me back. I was kind of curious about Blake. I saw a, a 2009-2010 Upper Deck Blaster on clearance at Walmart for $10. Pulled a Michael Jordan, Julius Irving dual jersey. Wow. And I'm from that point, I'm kind of like, I'm back. And uh, I haven't stopped since then. So, you know, we'll talk about it, but my collection's kind of evolved, but it's always been kind of Pacers centered. Um, Very cool. Very cool. So then at what point, I guess, what inspired you to start the podcast? So um, 
when I started this show, uh, I guess it'd be a couple years now almost, um, there were some other hobby shows out there already, and I, I don't want to forget anyone, but I, I know there was um, 90s B-Ball Cards, Jake Roy on YouTube, at, at least the, the ones I was aware of. So like I said, I don't want to leave people out. There was Cardboard Chronicles on YouTube. Adam, the Real 27 guy, had a show several years prior to that, right. um, but he wasn't active at the time. And uh, House of Jordans was also mm-hmm. um, active and you know, I, there was a part of me that I'd listen to these shows and I'd say, well, I would do this this way, or why don't they talk about such and such more? And, you know, I wanted to voice that to them. And and then the more kind of rational side, and I probably did at some point, and I apologize if I did, but the rational side of me kind of finally stepped in and said, that's their show. You know, if you want to show uh, tailored to a specific way, make it. Yeah. And um, I wanted one that really focused more on the history of cards and kind of the, um, at the time, alterations were really coming onto the scene too. I wanted to talk more about some of that stuff. So that's kind of the direction I went. Very cool. Yeah, you touched on, or you just mentioned that the focus on the history of cards. And those are actually uh, the things that attracted me most to your show. And mm-hmm. it's almost been a year ago, but last March, I believe, you did a three-part series covering the history of basketball cards. I think it was episodes 53 through 55. Mm-hmm. And you had 53 that covered the pre-LeBron era, 54 that covered 2003 to 2011, and 55 that covered 2012 to present. And so where did that idea for the series come from? Well, um, you know, when I first started the show, I did a I did an episode, and I don't even want to listen back to it now. Who knows what quality it is? But I did uh, basically I covered the question that I see all the time: Why is there only one manufacturer of NBA cards? And you know that took us at least until 2009. And and after I got a year in, I was still getting a lot of questions, and I thought, you know what, I'd really love to just cover the whole history and try and give something. I wanted something I could present to people. Even if you don't listen to every episode, you know, all these people are saying, Hey, I just got into the hobby. What do I, you know, this was right around when the pandemic started. I just got into the hobby. You know, what do I need to do? What do I need to buy? And it's like, well, hold on, you know, why don't, why don't we look at the history first and then you can go from there and decide what you want to do, but just recognize what came out before and, and, you know, I didn't cover every set, but I, I thought the history would really benefit people. I thought people needed some context because, quite frankly, I also saw uh, some big content creators that were presenting information without context or they were trying to to they were trying to come up with print runs based off of pop reports at, for guys that were rookies in you know 2015 or whatever. And no one paid attention to that player in 2015. So that's not accurate to someone like Zion today, you can't use those to compare one another. How did you come up with the splits? Was there any kind of science behind that? Or was that just kind of uh, something that stood out to you? So uh, originally it was going to be a two-parter. And I think on the first episode, so if you listen, if you go back and listen to them, for those of you that are are listening, I'll say, Hey, I'm about to do a two-parter. Well, spoiler alert, it ended up being three um, (laughs) because I, I thought I thought I could I could divide things by pre-LeBron and post-LeBron. And as I started digging into post-LeBron, I thought, oh man, this is this is too much. 
I, you know, I don't want to do a two hour episode or whatever. Um, so I ended up splitting it up. And the reason why I didn't do 2009 when Panini came into things was because I thought, you know, first off, there's not a lot of history in 2010 and 2011 anyway, so I could tag those on. And that would give me a lot more time to talk about kind of the glory years of, of Panini. But I don't feel like Panini really established their footing in the basketball market until around 2012. And part of that was because they were trying new things and they had to innovate. I mean, they, well, they literally had a product called innovation. Um, and we saw a lot of cool things were being attempted because they just didn't have the brand recognition in the history that say upper decks or top upper deck or tops would have had. So um, they were really coming into their own. And of course that's when prism started. That's when Immaculate started. And, and I don't like judging them on their first two years. Cause there was a lot of, you know, they were trying a lot of things out. They were getting established. You wouldn't have known this in March when you put this series out, but 2020 almost turned into a thing in of itself. And so just curious, would you start a new era with 2020 or would you just tack that on to the end if you were doing it again today? Uh, yeah, I, I would have to start. I think I would have to start a new era in 2020 because it's just changed so much in the last year. I mean, I feel like um, I was, I did an episode on kind of the market changes over the year. And I, it's like, man, this is like five years worth of content that happened in one year. And, um, you know, I don't know how long this is going to last, but um, I figure we're, we're in this for a while. And, and even if we're not, you know, you could do a whole like four parter on 2020. It's, it's been absolutely wild. Yeah, it has been something else, you know, across the board, all sports, non-sports has even picked up some some traction. It's It's been a pretty interesting year, and I am curious to see uh, where we go. You know, I, I've been asked that same question, and I try to avoid answering because <laughs> I feel like I don't have a good answer until we get back into a situation that is somewhat normal from a life perspective, not necessarily right. from a card perspective, but somewhat normal from a life perspective. And we're able to start having um, in-person shows across the country. We're able to start to do these other things and interact in ways that are not restricted due to COVID and all of the other stuff that's going on. And so, yeah, I, I always try to avoid that answer because I, I have no idea until we get back and can have some observable data with a somewhat normal life perspective so yeah i uh on my last episode i i somebody asked me a question about grading and i said you know i well i think if grading becomes a more efficient process you know then this will happen and this will happen and we'll have overpopulation and people will stop relying on it so much and blah 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 but then there's this giant footnote at the end oh by the way we're getting another stimulus and i don't you know i can't weigh all of these other factors in there's too much weighing on this whole hobby and the whole market right now so you know it's all guesses if somebody tells you they know exactly it's all a guess what are your current card focuses so um i'm definitely focusing on pacer stuff as usual but um i try to be very specific because you know it's like you can only get so many tj leaf patches before it's like, I got to stop, or this is eating into my overall budget. So um, what I try to do is to go for some of the uh, more obscure stuff. Like I just, I picked up, I don't have it in hand yet, but a, a jumbo Roy Hibbert tag the other day. I love that kind of stuff. It's got the, the game date 
uh, written on the tag. So it's like I can go to Getty Images and find a picture of him wearing that actual jersey. Yeah. Um, and something like that is is to me is special. So um, I'm looking for Pacer stuff that I think is significant. Like I bought a Goga RPA last night, but I actually like the immaculate design better than National Treasures. So I'm looking for stuff that I like more so than than what people tell me I should like. And then also uh, NBA Finals stuff. Uh, I love game-dated stuff in general, which I guess goes along with that Hibbert as well. I think the NBA Finals stuff is important. And then also cards that help me narrate um, the history of the sport and the hobby. So, for instance, I, I picked up four cards at a card show yesterday, um, and they probably couldn't be any more different. I have a Nick Young Topps photo shoot autograph. I have a Dwayne Wade 2003 Chrome rookie. I have a Maurice Stokes 1957 Topps rookie. And I have a John Havlicek jersey card. And, you know, it's like if you look at his jersey card, there's like less than 20 of his jersey cards for sale right now on eBay. So just seeing one in the wild, I, I'm going to pick it up. You had mentioned um, going to a show yesterday and you've you've mentioned on your show and on Twitter that you occasionally will set up at shows as well. How long have you been doing that? So I've been doing that for, um, I guess it'd be a couple of years now. It feels like a long time just because what we've talked about with the hobby, just I, I feel like, you know, that that picture of a president at the start of the term and at the end of the eight years or whatever, where they look like an old man. Uh, I feel like the hobby's done that this year. Um, yeah, I've been setting up for about a couple of years and it, it started at a small local show and then um I kind of had an opportunity to set up at a, a big show here with a, a friend and um, it's a lot of fun and um, I get to meet a lot of people. How big is the business side of the hobby for you? Is that something that you are continuing to focus on? Or are you kind of doing it just for fun? Um, are you trying to grow that business side of the hobby? Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, I use it partially just to fund like Pacers cards. So you know, I, I am a collector first and foremost, but a lot of when I'm at a show, I'm there to find things that I can flip. Um, like for instance, back in, I want to say August or September, I was putting together a lot at some guy's table. Of course it was Ben Simmons. It was Trey young. And I saw a Christian Wood contenders auto. And, you know, he thought that was a throw in. He said, Oh, I'll just throw this in. Well, okay. At the time it was a $40 card. I said, all right, sure. And the lot cost me about 45 bucks. So I sold the card this week for 90. So I'm looking for stuff like that. You know, that $90 will pay for a third, you know, well, actually no, uh, three times of a GoGo RPA of the one that I bought. So I'm looking for stuff that I can use to help finance my collection. Um, I do also enjoy, uh, you know, it's a good feeling to buy something and flip it. Uh, so I, you know, I get the financial side of it. Um, and I'm a lot, I'm like you, but on a much smaller scale, I know you buy massive collections yeah. and, and really before I jumped on today, uh, for those of you that haven't looked at his Twitter, look at his Twitter. He just posted two binder pages and you said, basically, I got all these cards at an average of 50 cents or less. I like buying lots as well on eBay. I don't get a chance to buy as many big collections, but I like buying a lot for one or two cards and then trying to fund that purchase with the rest of the cards. It's kind of like a challenge to me too. Is it time consuming? Yes. So it's not for everyone, 
I get a good sense of satisfaction from doing that though. Yeah. A man after my own heart, like <laughs> my passion as I got started was to help people figure out how to create a self-sustaining hobby so that mm -hmm. they could buy and sell to raise the funds to cover the cost of the cards that they wanted to buy and keep. And so I, I it makes me happy. It makes my heart warm that you are <laughs> a man after my own heart with, with creating a self-sustaining hobby. And just to clarify one thing about the, the Twitter post that I made there, that was 50 cents total for the page. So about a nickel. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, <laughs> so just to, just to clarify there, yeah, about a, a nickel a piece as they were part of, of some big collections that I had, had bought over the, the last several years. Um, so yeah, that, that's cool. I mean, I think there's a lot to that. And I love to share examples of people who are buying and selling for that purpose, right? There's, there's a little bit of enjoyment that comes from it. But me personally, I, I enjoy my collection so much more knowing that I paid for it with the profits that I made from selling other cards that there's just mm -hmm. something about that, that adds to the enjoyment for me. So cool. So I, I, I encourage you to continue um, doing that and continue to have fun with the hobby that way. One of the things that you've shared already, and that I've shared already about the reasons that I like your show is that desire to learn and that desire to educate. What are some other resources that you use to continue learning about the basketball card market? and hobby. Okay. So I, um, first off uh, networking, right. People. So I, I've tried to, anytime I find someone that, um, was maybe collecting the same years that I was, um, in the two thousands and, and especially if they're a different age than I was, I, I, I'm like, look, I tell them like, we are going to stay in touch because if I'm talking about 2005, tops, um, they called them collector, collector chips, poker chips is what we called them. You know, I have my perspective of that as a high schooler, right? That's how old I was at the time. But if I can find someone that was 30 at that time and remembers that era, it's like, okay, it's like two people watching, well, a car crash, although it wasn't a bad event, but two people watching a car crash, you might have a couple of people tell you that the car was red, um, but then everything else that they recall from that situation might be entirely different. And it's interesting to get those perspectives. So people, I would say, would be a number one resource. Number two would be blowout forums, I think is an excellent resource. And, and you do have to do some digging. It's not all going to be on page one. Unfortunately, there are some other forums that have gone under since then and we've lost well on the surface we've lost all of that information but i also tried to become friends with the people that have that information or still own that information on hard drives and just say like hey we're going to stay in touch if you never even bring that history back please at least help me archive it uh, because it's such a valuable resource for the hobby like i'll give you an example there was a pretty big michael jordan pump around 2016 and well, we have some of that on blow on the blowout forums, but a lot of it's very scattered. So, you know, it's hard for somebody that's entering the hobby to just look up, Hey, 2016 Jordan pump. And because they're not going to understand the context of everything around it. So I try and find people that can help uh, put that in perspective and posts that can help put that in perspective. Well, I have a few quick hitter questions to end our conversation today. So are you ready for them? I'm ready. All right. 
first one, what is your favorite vintage basketball card set? Um, I have to go with uh, 1972, 73 tops um, simply because I'm so attached to it because I spent nine years trying to get a signed copy of every card and um, there's 264 cards and I did. Now I say that I, I think I kind of like the 71 set better, but I'm kind of tied to the 72 set. Yeah. It's a fantastic one for sure. What is your favorite modern set? Modern being how, how modern, what do you consider modern? Let's go with the 2003 to present era. Okay. 2003 to present. we'll, We'll go LeBron to present. I'm probably going to say 2005, 2006 tops total. Okay. Which was for people that aren't familiar with that, um, don't invest in it because you're it's not worth your money. Mike probably got a bunch of those for five cents a piece at some point too. And so it was a set. I don't like comparing it to the Panini complete set from several years ago because I think that's insulting. Those were very thin and paper-based and it's like they were printed at like Kinko's. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tops Total was a you know cardboard card stock set as a 440 card set. It had every team. It had um, a coach for every team. It had an assistant for every team. It had a mascot for every team. Every Almost every hobby box had a gold parallel numbered to 10. And then there were printing plates for the front and back of each card. So let's say if you collect a guy like Scott Pollard, there's not a lot of chase cards for you um, throughout his entire career. Tops Total just gave you a parallel number to 10 and eight printing plates that you can chase. And I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I enjoy those those sets that give a more holistic picture of the league at that time. One of the things I mm-hmm. love about set collecting is that it gives a snapshot of the history of that season for whichever sport you're talking about. So I always gravitate towards some of those, I want to call them lower end products that have a robust checklist because mm-hmm. I enjoy that aspect. So that's cool to hear you say that. Well, and, and real quick, sorry, yeah. I don't mean to, real quick though, think about how, how many mascot cards have you seen? Right. So if you're a team collector, um, you know, I have three of the Boomer, the Panther, mascot um parallels out of 10 okay there's no there aren't boomer cards it was just the two years of tops total and i'm really surprised that panini hasn't done something featuring mascots they did coaches in prism people hated it which i loved it please bring coaches back i'll you know i know this sorry i know this is a short response section but if you want to increase the set and if you want to increase production put coaches in the set it adds another 30 cards and then all those parallels anyway yeah it's, it's, it's great. What is your favorite non-sports card podcast? Uh, my favorite non-sports card podcast. I do, man, I listen to a lot of sports card podcasts. I listen to some Bill Simmons, which he's still sports related. Yeah. Um, I enjoy, um, I feel like I can listen to him on Monday morning and he recaps kind of the NFL weekend and even, you know, if, if I only watch the Colts game that weekend, I can go to work and and still kind of talk to, hey, talk to my coworker about the Chiefs or, you know, whoever they cheer for. And what do you do for fun outside of cards? Outside of cards, man, I feel like the hobby consumes a lot of my free time right now. 
you know, I play Call of Duty. I, I do uh, those kinds of things. I, you know, I, I would say most of it goes to just, you know, spending time at the house or whatever and um, the hobby. So that's pretty much it right now. I go to shows. I do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, I don't have any kids yet. So I, I recognize that when that eventually happens, all of that will come to an end. But in, until then, I'm, you know, this phase of my life, I'm going to spend a lot of it on hobby stuff. And last question, how many Taco Bell burritos is too many Taco Bell burritos? You know, I was actually, I was already thinking about picking up Taco Bell later today. So I, I know that I will. The The sad thing is, is if, if it's a beefy Frito burrito, which has since left us, um, there are, there's, there's not too many. It's just, what can you, what can you intake on a, you know, <laughs> physical level? As far as the replacement, we'll go with the uh, the beef burritos. They're pretty good. I, I like to settle with, I'll do two beef burritos, a large Mountain Dew, and uh, I'll typically try and pick uh, nacho fries now that they're back. Maybe someday Taco Bell will reach out to you and and, <laughs> and fulfill your wish that, that, you, uh, that you share at the end of every episode. Yes, please sponsor me, Taco Bell. I, I will speak good things of you regardless, even though you took my favorite burrito away. Please sponsor me. <laughs> well, thanks again, Kyle, for coming on to the show. I appreciate it. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks, Mike.